0: God. Well, if you would open your Bibles this morning, we're going to start in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, as a matter of fact. How many of you were blessed by the psalm that Sister Denny read, Psalm 34? Amen. Praise God. We need to recall what God says about Himself in that psalm He is the rescuer. He is the Deliverer. And He says, I rescue you out of all your troubles. I save you from all your fears. You will suffer no lack. I hear you. I hear all your cries and I answer them. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Religion may train you to say that's not always true or there are exceptions to that, but God left no room for exception here. So we have to trust Him. We have to believe Him. And you've got to step out in faith and actually say, okay, I believe that. I believe that. Now listen, just because, just because God says it about Himself doesn't mean it's, it's going to affect your life. If you, if you can't step out and grab it, if you can't step out in faith and receive it, remember that Jesus came to Israel to do a lot of miracles and to do a lot of things to teach them, to heal them, but not everybody was taught. Not everybody was healed. The woman with the issue of blood is a great example, I think. Because Jesus didn't come to her house. Jesus came to heal, didn't He? Did Jesus come to heal the woman with the issue of blood? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Now, I don't know if you can grasp how horrible that would have been. How how hard and, and how exhausted you would have been all the time. Anemic. Unable to do much of anything... You've been bleeding for 12 years straight without a stop. Every day, the doctors couldn't do anything for her. And you remember that even though Jesus said, I've come to heal the sick, I've come to, to heal the blind, raise the dead, cause the lame to walk, all of these things, not everybody in Israel got healed, did they? Who got healed? The ones that heard him and said, okay, I believe that, and, went and got healed the ones that went to him. And so this lady with the issue of blood, you recall that even though Jesus had what she needed, even though Jesus was what she needed, He didn't come to her house. She couldn't just say, well, if it's God's will, I'll be healed. Because if she had just said that and not done anything in faith, she would have died. Or would have just had that disease for the rest of her life. Right? What did she have to do? She, had to, she heard about Jesus. She had to get up. And go out where she was not allowed to go. Because she was not allowed to be in public. Because of her condition. According to the law of Moses. She couldn't be in crowds. She couldn't be in public. She couldn't go to the temple. Because she was considered unclean. And yet she crawled through the crowd. Can you imagine if you've been bleeding for 12 years. How hard it would be to get through a crowd of people. All pressing on Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert. Where, where there's, a, there's a, a group at the front. But sometimes you get carried along in the crowd. It's very difficult to get somewhere. If you're in a crowded place and you want to get to the front, it's very difficult to get there, especially if you're crawling. How many times would you be stepped on your fingers? I mean, I've been in crowds like that and I've dropped something. That's the worst thing in the world. You drop your cell phone, and you're like, oh no. Because you have to go and kind of crawl, and people are stepping on your fingers and and and, and, and crushing you. And this lady went through the crush, went through the press, as the scripture says. And pressed through to Jesus until she could touch the hem of his garment. Because she had been saying to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will, not I might, not I could, but I will be made whole. And Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you whole. But of course he said, who touched me? Remember this? He said, who touched me? And the disciples thought that was the stupidest question in the world. Because everybody's touching you. You're in the middle of a mosh pit. What do you mean who touched you? Do you know all those people touching Jesus, one lady got healed. Why? Because she was the one who said, if I'll touch him, I will be healed. Probably everybody else says, if he'll touch me, I'll be healed. Now if he'll turn around and pay attention to me, maybe I'll be healed. But she was the one who had faith, so much faith in Jesus. She says, "If I can just touch even his clothes, I will be healed." And, and God met her where she was. He met her where her where her faith was. And that's the coolest thing because God Jesus said, "I felt power go out of me." He had all this power in him. He had all the power that that whole crowd needed. Jesus could have healed that whole crowd. He had everything they needed. God had given him the spirit without measure. So He had all the power they needed, but it took faith to latch on to that power. The anointing was there, but faith grabs it and receives it. So you can sit on your couch all you want and say, well, if it's God's will, this will happen. If it's God's will, this will happen. But you need to look in your Bible, find out the will of God, and then act in faith, pray in faith, ask in faith, move in faith. Because if you don't, you'll say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. And God said, it was my will, that's why I told you. Jesus said the difference between a slave and a friend is a slave has no idea what his master is doing. But you, I call you friends. 1 Corinthians 2 makes it very clear that you can know the will of God. That is beyond your ability to grasp. But you can know it because of the Spirit of God in you. And you must know it, because if you don't know it, you'll never be able to stand on anything. You'll think that circumstances tell you the will of God. But if you've read the Bible... All of the apostles would have quit if they thought circumstances taught them the will of God. If they thought opposition meant it wasn't God's will or things weren't working out, it must not be God's will. If they had thought that, they would have all quit. They had to know the will of God. God does not speak to you through those things. He speaks to you by His voice. You're His kid. You're not unsaved. You're not in the world. You're in the family. So once you're in the family of God, you've got the Spirit of God. You are able to hear the Word of God. If you're able to hear the Word of God, you're able to stand in faith and know the will of God. The famous saying, I don't remember who first said it, but the saying that's been repeated often is, faith begins where the will of God is known. It has to be. You can't have faith in a blob. You can't have faith in some weird idea. You've got to have faith in something he's actually said or promised, and faith in him himself. So, all that to, to get us to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Remember, the Lord delivers us out of all. There is not one scripture that states that you will not encounter any troubles. There's not one Scripture that states that you won't have a hard time doing something, but it does say He will deliver you out of all your troubles, out of all your afflictions. People may tell you, well, that's what that church believes over there. You know, they think it's all roses and flowers and and unicorns, and they think it's all sweet over there and you'll never have any problems. Do you think we could have fooled ourselves for this long to think that? We'll live in this bubble and think nothing goes wrong and, and still be alive no you've got. You just got to have somebody that believes the word and says no I believe this and though though I may not feel it right now I know I know what God says and I'm going to stand on that until I see it happen in my life you know that, that story that we told earlier about the blind man and the lame man together uh, a couple years back in Sudan you know they they may have gone back from that meeting and said well nothing happened nothing happened I don't feel anything and yet their faith was still there. That, that the man said, you've received something from God. So they believed, okay, I don't know what it was, but I believe it. And because of that, the lame man walked and the blind man saw. Praise God. So Second Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 8. The apostles have, have faced great persecution for Jesus' sake. Jesus said, this is what will happen. People will hate you because they hate me. They'll persecute you because they persecute me. Don't you worry. You have a reward. Don't worry. I've overcome the world. If they're persecuting you, it's because of me. And you can actually rejoice like the apostles did. The apostles rejoiced that they just got mentioned in the same sentence as Jesus. They, got, they rejoiced that, that they weren't being persecuted because they were bad. They were persecuted because people hated Jesus. And they were honored to share in that. And in... in, in In 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Did you lose me? No, we're good. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Now what happens when you're burdened beyond your strength? Let's think about it physically. If I put a bunch of stuff on your back, and then put more on your back beyond your strength, what does that mean? You're crushed. You fall down like you can't stand up. He says we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, and yet he's still alive writing this letter. It says we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. This is the great apostle Paul thought. I don't know if I'm going to be. I'm not going. I don't know if I'm going to live through this. We despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Like he's, they started to actually think we could die. I think it got to the point where it looked like there was no way out of this that they definitely were going to die. We don't know exactly what happened there. All we know is he and his buddies got to the point where it, it looked like they were going to die. Now, I, they weren't sick. We're They, you know, we're not talking about terminal disease here. We were talking about them being persecuted heavily, heavily. So much so that they looked like they were going to lose their lives. It says they had the sentence of death not just on them, but within them. Do you know the difference? When you have a sentence of death on you, people are saying you're going to die. When you have a sentence of death within you, you've started to believe it. But it says this. We had a of, sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. So at some point, they stopped trusting in themselves. That was the problem right there. You trust in yourself. It doesn't last, does it? So we're not trusting ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. So here's the thought. Here's the thought that, that was going through their minds. We may, we may get put to death, but God raises the dead. You see, because they had a mission. The Apostle Paul had been told by Jesus Christ, this is what you're going to do. And on some level, he knew, I haven't finished that. You get to the end of his life. He said, I've finished what God told me to do. But he knew at that point, I haven't finished. So I don't know how this is going to work out. It looks like I'm going to die. But God raises the dead. Remember, that's what Abraham said. It says in Romans, Abraham was going to put his son to death. Because God told him, sacrifice your son. And, and so Abraham's like, I guess God's going to raise him from the dead. But he's somehow... he's abraham says to his servant eliezer the boy and i will return doesn't say uh don't tell anybody but i'll be back alone or he doesn't say fingers crossed we're hoping the boy comes back he says the boy and i will return and in his mind he's like well i guess god's just going to raise him from dead as you know the story he was about to plunge the knife and the angel stopped his hand and uh, a sacrifice, a ram came out of the thornbrush, was caught in the thornbrush, and became the sacrifice. And God said, I've taken this as a symbol. I've taken your faith, and it counts for something. And so, in the same sense, the Apostle Paul's thinking, I- it looks like I'm going to die, but God can raise me up. And that actually happened in his life. If you recall, he was in Lystra and was stoned to death, dragged out of the city, left, and. and, and We've said this before, but these guys, these Jews, knew how to stone somebody to death. They weren't ones to leave something to chance. If they thought you were dead, you were dead. They weren't going to just leave it. I'm sure they checked his vitals, all of these things. He was dead. Then it says, the disciples gathered around him. And when they gathered around him, we can only assume that they were praying. When they gathered around him, he got up and walked back into the city. Because you know when you know your God, you know your mission, you're fearless. I really pray that we would raise a group of people in this body that would be so fearless that you can't be threatened with anything. That would know your God so well that you can't be intimidated. That would be so brave... But not because you're, you're, you're some sort of movie star, movie hero that, that's just brave because you're manly or macho, or, but you're brave because you know you're God. Fearless, not able to be intimidated. So, alright, let's get back to the Word. He says this, but in, We've put our hope in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death. So remember they had the sentence of death within themselves and God delivered them. But here's what he says. He will, sorry, and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and He will yet deliver us. Do you hear that? Another way to translate this is He delivered us, He delivers, and He will yet deliver. That's cool, isn't it? So he says, this wasn't a one-time thing. I didn't use up my deliverance credits. I got delivered, and it'll happen again. I got saved from death, and it will be happen again. I love, at the end of 2 Timothy. In fact, let's look there real quick. 2 Timothy. Last few words in 2 Timothy. Recall that the Apostle Paul is at the end of his life, but he knows, I'm not going until I'm finished. I'm not going until I've accomplished what I've been sent to do. Second Timothy chapter two, sorry, sorry, chapter four, verse sixteen. He says, "At my first defense, so he was on trial, no one supported me." That's rough, isn't it? Because you know we all really like the Apostle Paul. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not hurt if you say I wish he was our pastor. You, we all like him. I, I wouldn't mind that either. But, even though you like somebody and you might admire them, some people are still cowardly at times. And uh, the Apostle Paul has been put on trial. And to show up at trial and testify on his behalf is a great way to put a target on your own back. And so nobody supported him at his trial. This man who gave his life for these people is at the end of his life You think at the end of that man's life, how many people he'd touched? How many lives had been changed through his ministry? He's at the end of his life! The church has been revolutionized by this man's ministry, and yet nobody will stand up for him. He says, At my last defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me. You see, you don't need anybody else when the Lord stands with you. And He strengthened me. So that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished. What's He saying? I knew that wasn't my last trial because I wasn't fully accomplished. I wasn't finished. So I knew that the Lord had to strengthen me so that the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Now listen to this. I was. What does he say after? The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Did you hear that? That sounds like Psalm 34, doesn't it? The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. This is not machismo. This is not bragging. This is not arrogance. This is life. This is truth. This is a man who knows his God. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen now when paul was done and he said i'm finished i've done everything i've been sent to do he gladly went with them outside the gates of the city knelt down stuck his neck on a block and allowed his head to be chopped off because he had nothing else to stay for you know that's a quick way to go. <laughs> but he glorified God even in the way he faced death. Can you imagine being one of those soldiers? Every man you've ever executed whimpered and cried and, and screamed and begged. And the Apostle Paul goes happy, smiling, expecting to see his Lord that he's been waiting so long to see that in the book of Philippians, he, he's saying, I'm torn, I want to go see Jesus, but I know I've got to stay here. And finally... The Lord is saying, You're done, buddy, you can come home. And the guards are used to somebody saying, I want to stay, but Paul is saying, Good, it's time to go. He kneels down. Early church records, and we don't you know, this isn't scripture, so take it as it is. There are there are rumors and reports that the man, the guard who was sent to to actually execute him, got born again later. We don't know that, but I can imagine it would have been quite the witness. I've been reading, I have a, a couple of accounts um, of some early church fathers, one of them being uh, the Apostle John's um, protege. He was a guy that trained under John. This was the next generation of leaders after the apostles died, and the original apostles died. There were, of course, apostles after that. And uh, this guy, he's, re- like, he's an old man by this time. He was... When he was a young man, he was training under the Apostle, Paul, uh, uh, Apostle John. And, uh, man, if you were training under the Apostle John, you had faith. I mean, you learned something. And so, he's talking. And, and, and if you didn't know what he was going through, you'd think, this guy is masochistic, this guy is crazy. But... He's being led to Rome. And he's writing this letter. It's his last words he'll ever write. And he's, as he's writing, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by guards. They're taking me to Rome. And he says, I, he's like talking like he can't wait to see the lions. This is under the rule of the Emperor Domitian. And they're throwing Christians to the lions. And he goes, I can't wait to see Jesus. He goes, please, don't get me wrong. It's not that I love to die, but I can't wait to see Jesus. He goes, if those lions are too afraid to touch me, I'll coax them nearer because I want to see Jesus. But he was done. He wasn't wondering, is this the end, is it not? Because he knew, I'm finished. And until I'm finished, I've got to trust that the Lord will deliver me. You've got to believe that even in death, they were delivered. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He will deliver me forever and will bring me safely to His kingdom. So you know, we serve a God who is dependable, who is trustworthy. But the ones who will benefit from that are the ones that believe in His trustworthiness. And you've got to know that God is the rescuer. He is the deliverer. He's not the one that puts you in that mess. Because if you think He's the one that puts you in that mess, how can you trust Him to deliver you from His own hand? That kind of attitude is like treating like God like a, a mafia boss that says it would be a shame if something were to happen to your nice business. Buy from us protection and we will make sure no one breaks your windows. Ah, it's okay, I don't need protection. You may be surprised to wake up and find these windows broken. You know? Really buying protection from that mafia guy is just saying I'm going to pay you not to attack me. It's a big scam, Right? like some of the, you know, amongst our, our Cree brothers and sisters, there's still medicine men who do witchcraft, and, and they'll put a, a, a curse on somebody, they'll, they'll, they'll put witchcraft on somebody and then say, oh, yeah, come to me, I can heal you. In other words, I'll stop the curse that I've put on you. That's really not healing, is it? You don't twist somebody's arm and go, I can heal you, I can make you feel better. If I stop, if I stop twisting your arm, <laughs> I can magically heal that pain. So this is not God. God is not the one who's doing it and then saying, ask me and I'll deliver you from my own hand. No. God is the rescuer. He is the deliverer. And in this He says, from every evil deed, God has no place, no spot in evil. The Bible says He's the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting or shadow. It says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow. There is no darkness in Him. Jesus said, what fellowship You may have a Christian tell you, well, in the end, the devil devil really only works for God. I mean, the devil is only God's servant. And yet Jesus said, what fellowship has Christ with Belial? If a house is divided against itself, it shall not stand. Jesus says, I have nothing to do with those guys. Because they accused him. They said, he casts out demons because he has a demon. He says, I've got no fellowship with demons. God does not use the devil. Now sometimes the devil does stupid things and rips his own britches and, and, uh, and God's, God has seen the end from the beginning and causes all things to work together for good and the devil is much frustrated by that. But it doesn't mean that God is using the devil. It means he's working over and beyond what the enemy is trying to do. So I want you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Daniel. Can we go there? I love the book of Daniel, don't you? You know what's funny about the book of Daniel? Is that in the book of Daniel, the only Jews we're really introduced to, the only uh, chosen people that we meet in this book, are ones that really loved God and followed God. And yet there was a reason they just went to Babylon. These guys were in the minority. I don't know if you know the history, but king after king, and and generation after generation had turned away from God, served other gods, served idols. There was a king named Manasseh that was kind of the last straw that God said he filled the streets of Jerusalem with the blood of the innocent. Did you know that Judah had kings like this? Tyrants, dictators... God said, you've defiled your land. I have to take you out. Because this is a holy land. The only way to save that nation from which Jesus himself would come through. Redemption to mankind would come through that, that seed, that remnant. In order to save it, God had to take them out of the land. Because of the sins that had filled that land. A terrible time a terrible place and most of the people in judah were not good people at the time they had turned away from god and so we read about uh, those three hebrew children we read about daniel and we think boy these i mean people were doing great but these were the minority very much the minority and uh at this time give you a bit of background babylon was the ruling power the assyrians had been uh conquered and uh, Babylon was the uh, the force to be reckoned with at the time. The, they were the empire of the world at that time. Uh, they had conquered many peoples. They had uh, brought some back. Some they had allowed to stay in their own homelands. And in fact, that's what they tried to do with Judah, was to conquer them and allow them to have a kind of a puppet king. But that king rebelled against the Babylonians, and so they brought him to Babylon in chains and uh, installed a bit of a puppet king and and in phases brought all the Jews to Babylon in exile. There were some that still lived in in Judah, but it was mainly desolate. They brought brought the noblemen back, they brought the princes, and in fact, we'll read that just right here in Daniel chapter 1. He says, In the third year, this is verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, into the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. You say, why did God do that? Because Jehoiakim had turned away from God. He turned away from the living God, and uh, did not turn to God as his rescue, as his shelter. He turned away from God, and God said, okay, that's it, last straw, you guys have to get out. And so he allowed the Babylonians to come in, uh, then in verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligent in every, intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. You see, this was part of the plan was that you get their noblemen, you get their princes. Remember, this is the hope for the next generation. These are the guys that if you leave them alone might rebel and rise up again against you. But if you bring them in and make them one of you, teach them your language, teach them to be Babylonian, they won't, they won't want to leave. They won't want to go back to their homeland. They'll be Babylonian. You'll have peace. This is what they did. So they brought these people and tried to change them, tried to make them fit in. And of course you know the story About how the king gave them something to eat Gave them a specific type of food to eat and to drink And this was meat that had been offered And wine that had been offered up to idols And the three Hebrew children and Daniel So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel They said, no, we're not eating your food In fact, Daniel said it And the three other guys go, okay, Daniel's right, okay And they said, no, we're not going to eat your food We're going to eat just vegetables and water and you're not going to get too strong uh, as far as bulking up and being, being fit with uh, just veggies and water. That's, that's not going to cut it. But that's all they had. And the Lord blessed them. And they became stronger than everybody else, healthier than everybody else, and smarter than everybody else. Uh, just because they had trusted the Lord. But we're going to skip ahead. One of the first things that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar tried to do was changed their names. Of course, their names were Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Hananiah means the Lord. Sorry, God is gracious. Mishael means who is like God. Azariah means the Lord helps. These are good names, right? The Babylonians changed their names to Shadrach, which means you're a commander of the god Aku, which is the moon god. Meshach, which is who is like Aku. Instead of his name was who is like God, his name became what is, what is like Aku. And Abegnago, which means servant of Nebo, which was another god that they had. So he changed their names, tried to change their identities, but thank God they didn't allow themselves to be changed. Call us what you want, but our names are still are the same. Our hope is still the same. Our, our identity has not changed. These were minority. You know, most of the nobles that came from Judah, most of the princes, most of the young men aren't named in this book. You know why? Because they went along with everything. They were assimilated. They did what they were told. They didn't fight back. And they were probably happy to be in the house of a king. Not looking to Zion. But saying, okay, we belong here. I'd rather live in Babylon anyways. There were only four out of all those, all the nation, uh, the nation, uh, the the choice people from that nation, the the finest youths, there were only four that stood up for God. There were only four that stood apart and knew their God. So of course, we we skip ahead because I want to focus on these three guys. Of course, Daniel is kind of the star of this book, but we want to skip that for now, and start in chapter three. Nebuchadnezzar is one of those guys that really, there's no end to his vanity. There's no end to his um, ego. He does not have a self-esteem problem. Which is kind of like the way they ruled back then. If you look at some of the tablets and documents from that age, the, the, the better king you were, I mean... If you were a good king, you knew how to brag. That was, that was what defined you as a good king. You knew how to brag and you knew how to put down a rebellion. If you could do those things, you were a good king. You had to, And some of them, like the Assyrian kings, would brag about how they put the rebellion down. They bragged about how vicious and cruel they were. They bragged about how mean they were. And Nebuchadnezzar had no problem bragging about himself and exalting himself and so he's just delighted when someone comes with a great idea in verse one nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold the height of which was 60 cubits and its width six cubits he set it up on the plain of dura in the province of babylon Then nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps those are the uh you know rulers over specific regions and provinces the prefects and the judges the magistrates And the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, (laughs) the judges, the magistrates, and the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now to give you a little bit of background. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or we'll call them from now on their, their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, and Daniel had been appointed as rulers in Babylon. God had given them such favor and an excellent spirit that they actually became part of this ruling class. They were in charge of some things. So when he's assembling all the, all the government, all the people in charge, they're in that group. He's going to bring them all together. And make them bow down to this. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. That at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. You know in the end of... like. Near the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about all these nations from every tribe, every tongue, worshiping the king. There's always been a spirit of Antichrist in the world that's tried to do this himself. The king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that all the nations I've conquered, men from every tribe and language, they'd all bow down to my image. It's his little dream that all these people would love him. And in their own language, would sing happy songs and, and rock their baby to sleep singing beautiful songs about Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, this is his dream. And so, he says, men from every nation, every tongue will bow down. When you hear our music, you'll bow down to the image. Now realize that every other nation bowed down. In fact, most of the Jews bowed down. Three people. I don't know where Daniel was during all of this. I know he didn't bow, but he might have been conveniently somewhere else. But there were three, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that they called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that said, no, we're not doing this. And here's what it says. It says in verse 5, verse 6, But whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore... In other words, because of that statement. At that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree... That every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews. Do you see that? He doesn't say the Jews. He said there are certain Jews. You know, the saddest part of this story, because this is generally a happy story by the end, but the saddest part of this story is there were only three of them that stood up. Everybody else bowed down. You know, it's sometimes easy, I'll say this frankly, it's sometimes easy to be in a crowd of unbelievers and say, I'm not doing that. I serve Jesus. Sometimes it's a little harder when you're around believers that compromise to say, no, I'm following Jesus. I oh, know we've all faced this. Now, I love my brothers and sisters. You've got to love them. You pursue peace with them. But you don't have to do everything just because other Christians did it. You, have, you answer to Jesus and Jesus alone. He's your king. They're not your king. He's your king. So when you're around a group of people and they're watching something you know you shouldn't watch, don't say, well, they're Christians too. I guess it's okay. Jesus is not grading on a curve. He's not, you're not going to get to heaven. He goes, well, I guess if they did it, He's going to talk to you. He's concerned about you. You're his child. You have a personal relationship with him. You've got a Holy Spirit right inside of you that tells you right and wrong. That tells you what you should do, and you you just got to say. I mean, it's easy to be in a group of unbelievers in a class where there are no Christians, and you're the only Christian in your class, and you stand up for righteousness, you stand up for God, and you say, I'm the only one that follows Jesus, but that's okay. It's sometimes harder when you've got five other Christians in your class that go along with everybody else. And you've got to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me, still I will follow. Welcome to junior high. sad part is some of the people that persecuted me for my beliefs most in junior high were other Christians that were embarrassed about their own faith. You don't hate them for it. Don't persecute them for it. Let the Lord handle that. But you need to follow Jesus. So these, these three said, I, I mean, our, they're seeing their cousins, their brothers, they're seeing their friends bowed down, and they go, no, nope, not us. And I'm sure their friends were saying, come on, come on, get down, get down. You're going to make us all look bad. Because in those days, kings were known to be like, okay, one guy did the wrong thing. I'm punishing the whole class. You know, that was kind of what they did. I'll slay a hundred of you for these three. So I'm sure there were people like, bow down, get down, you idiots. But they didn't. Accusations were brought against these certain Jews, it says, whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Thank God that the testimony can be said of them. They don't serve your gods. That's a compliment. Then, verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, I'm sure you made a little mistake. I'm sure you just didn't know what you were doing. Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, don't you love how he repeats every instrument every time they talk about this? Like it really makes the story longer, doesn't it? At that moment... You hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psalter, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Wow, I'm glad you asked. What a setup. What God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? see Nebuchadnezzar is stupid enough to think hey I defeated you once your God didn't save you then what he didn't know is that the people of Judah had rebelled against the Lord and that's why they had to go with them but these three had not rebelled against God they trusted in the Lord and now you're messing with the living God so what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands here's the answer Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king "O Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter if it be so. In other words, if it be so, that you're going to throw us in the fire. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. Listen to that. He is able. Our God is able. Don't you think that our God's not strong enough to do this. You're a puny little king. He's God. It says this. And, listen to this. He will. I'm going to say that again. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. No question there. He will. Now, what does he say after that? But even if he does not, but even, even he does, if, if your Bible shows it correctly, is in brackets. Here's what it says in the lit- literal language. But if not, in other words, even if he didn't, because it doesn't make any sense for them to say, He will deliver us, but if He doesn't... No, because then, then they would have said, He might deliver us, He could deliver us, but if He doesn't. But they said, He will deliver us! But even if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So what's their point here? Here's what they're saying. God will deliver us. Make no mistake, He will deliver us. But that's not the reason we're not bowing down. Even if He didn't deliver us, we still wouldn't bow to your stupid image but here's the good news he will deliver us you noticed through all of these scriptures we've read the seeming arrogance of their statement when they just flat out say he will deliver us that's not arrogance because that's something that God promised so they say he will deliver us Now you may think that's arrogant but these are people that God delivered the apostle Paul said he will yet deliver us He will deliver me. He will rescue me. These three Hebrew children said, He will deliver us from your hand. But even if He didn't, we wouldn't serve you. This is the attitude you should have. Not that if He does deliver us, good. If He doesn't, we're still not bowing. But you can say, yeah, He will deliver me. But even if He didn't deliver me, I still wouldn't bow. I still wouldn't give in. That's the attitude that they have. It's okay. It's not arrogance, guys, to believe God. It's faith to believe God. It's arrogance to not believe God. You want to be humble? Have faith. The Scripture says, as for the proud man, he is puffed up. He lifts himself up, but my righteous one shall live by his faith. The opposite of pride is faith. So when you read things like this, you say, oh, how proud they are. How proud they are to say, yeah, my God will deliver me. My God will supply my needs. My God will take care of me. You might say, oh, you're being so proud. You're being so arrogant. No, that's the opposite of pride. That's faith. You're not saying because I'm so holy. You're not saying because I'm so good. You're saying because I put my trust in Him. Because He is holy and He is good. He will deliver us. Verse 19, The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered. I love how that's put. His facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because of the king's command was urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew, in other words, killed the men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so hot that the people that threw them in died. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Now, stop for a minute. I want you to put yourselves in their head. Remember, they know God's going to deliver them, but He didn't tell them how. What have we said in the past few weeks? We get in trouble when we try to finish the picture that God started. Why? Because if God promised you something, and you say, okay, you're going to do that, And then you try to figure out how he's going to do it. When he doesn't do it that way, you're discouraged. Because you think he failed, but he didn't fail because he didn't say that's how I'm going to do it. You've got to believe what he promised you. So can you imagine these guys saying, and he will deliver us, and looking around like, and he will deliver us. One more time, guys. And he will deliver us. Nothing happens. Okay, well, before they tie us up, something's going to happen. I bet lightning's going to come down. Five bucks is an earthquake. Five bucks is an earthquake. Okay, I'll take that. All right. Something's going to happen here. They start to tie them up. Okay. All right, all right. On the way there, there's going to be a rescue operation. Chariots of fire. Hey, who who thinks there'll be chariots of fire? Totally. I bet there's chariots of fire. Oh, man, that'd be so awesome. Chariots of fire. Big old angel knock him out, psh, 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 knocks him down, grabs us, says, Get in, get into the chariot of fire, take us off. Oh, wow. They get up to the furnace. Okay, God. We kind of put ourselves out of the line here with what we said. You were going to deliver us. Um, we're right like at the furnace now, last chance. This is kind of your moment. Because once we're ashes, it's really not going to be easy to resurrect us. The soldiers throwing them in die. Well, they end up in the fire. And then you imagine that moment of sheer terror. You're being thrown in the fire, and then all of a sudden the moment where you're like, Ah! Wait. I don't feel anything. Are we dead? No. <laughs> Because this isn't heaven. (laughs) Not that they believed in heaven. I don't know what they thought was on the other side. But that's probably not your dream as a little kid. Uh, I don't feel anything. It says they're still tied up. So it's like, okay. That's not how I imagined it. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high official, Was it not three men we cast bound in the midst of the fire? Pretty sure there was. That's not a big amount to remember. They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire. And the fourth one, the appearance of the fourth, is like a son of the gods. That's not right. I don't know what they're doing in there. They're walking around. Like, <laughs> they're just I don't, know, I don't know what's going through their heads. They're, they're in a fire. They realize it's not hurting. And they're like, well, let's walk around. Okay, let's walk around. <laughs> hey, there's a new guy here. Hey, buddy. <laughs> let's take a walk. All right, let's walk and talk. Walk with me. I don't know what they're doing, but they're just walking around, having a good time. And and King Nebuchadnezzar goes, Something's not right. Doesn't add up. I'm no scientist, but this is not how it works. And it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. I love that they're so polite. They're in the fire; they're not burning, but they wait till they get called out. Okay, we can come out now. Okay. <laughs> they're just polite about it. Like we can wait. If if it's better for you to wait, for us to wait a while, and come out later. We can do that. Totally, no big deal. We're fine in here. It feels good. So, we can stay. We we can sleep here if you need us to. You know, just come out. Okay, we'll come out. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged. God saved the trousers. (laughs) Nor had the smell of smoke or fire even come upon them. Praise God. So, all right... God didn't just save them, He saved their stuff, their clothes, and they didn't even smell like they'd been in the fire. Thank God, this is the way God delivers us. He delivers you out of the evil thing. He delivers you out of the the affliction. He delivers you out of these things. And when you come out, you don't have to come out with all these scars, People tell you all these scars tell your story. Can I tell you something? He is the healer. He is the renewer. When God created you born again, He created you new and whole. And He heals the broken heart. And people say, oh, those scars are good. I believe that God can heal the scars. Because He says He's going to present the church spotless and blameless. Do you know when when they considered something spotless and blameless in the Old Covenant, it had to have no scars, no blemishes, no defects. That's what He can do for you. I'm not talking about physical scars. I'm talking about those emotional, those deep scars that come from you coming out of a situation. That's smelling like the smoke. But I believe God can not just bring you out, but can bring you out with no trace of damage. No, No baggage that you've had to carry from that experience. They didn't even smell like fire. Their trousers were fine. You see, they had switched into Babylonian dress. They had been wearing the Babylonian clothes with big baggy trousers. Those things would go up like right away. <laughs> it's just... Their trousers weren't even sinned so that they don't have to be embarrassed when they come out of the fire. The Lord is good. <laughs> They're not embarrassed, ashamed, or humiliated. They come out, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar has his oops moment where he realizes, I've made a a huge mistake. And he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people... Nation or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Now we use that as a nice euphemism for I tore them limb from limb in the playground. No, they actually tore people limb from limb. Like, tie them to two horses and tell the horses to go opposite directions. This was something they did. So, so it's not just a nice little phrase, you're torn limb from limb, you're going to be beat up. No, they're actually going to be torn limb from limb. He says, if you just say anything offensive about their God and their house is reduced to a rubbish heap. See, Nebuchadnezzar's doing damage control here. He's like, God, you do, I'm sorry, um, I don't want you mad at me because you're apparently a big dude. And so, anybody talks against you. I will tear them limb from limb. See, he's trying to to talk tough to God now. Like, I'm on your team, man. I've always been on your team. And so I will tear them limb from limb. I'll go further than that. I will go further than that. And I will burn their houses down. If they have a puppy, I will kill their puppies. I'm like, I'm on your team, man. And he says, Inasmuch as there was no other God who was able to deliver in this way, and I've tested the theory, I've thrown a lot of people in the fire. You know, he didn't just have a furnace conveniently large enough to to put men in. He tried it out before. Remember, he says he was so mad they had to make it seven times hotter than it usually is. He was used to burning people in this thing. So he's he's like, you know, I can do this. There's no other God, I know for a fact, there's no other God that can deliver in this way because I've tested the theory. He says this, no other God. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. (laughs) Here's the question Do you have the right to stand up with your chin up and your back straight and say, My God will deliver me? Do you have the right to say that? you don't think you have the right to say that you surely won't say that because you'll be afraid that you're embarrassing God if he doesn't come through then what will they say this is the number one lie that the enemy tells us if God doesn't come through you'll look like a fool and he'll look like a fool so don't promise anything but the Lord we we have a Bible not only full of promises but of examples of people that stood on those promises and made definite statements you know everybody that God seems to be impressed with in this book made definite statements about God He's not really impressed with people that were wishy washy and double minded and said, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But people that said, he will deliver me. Men that said, he will come through. Women that said, my son will be raised. These kind of people, I will be healed if I can touch the hem of his garment. A centurion who said, if you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith. You want to impress God? Believe His Word so much that you're able to make definite statements about what He said. Now, don't make definite statements based on your own idea of how He's going to do it or or what what He means. No, no. You make definite statements based on what He's already said. You're not speaking for God. Right? You're not making up His plan. You don't get to decide His plan. But you do get to see what His plan is, see His will in the Word, and then boldly and confidently say, this is what He says. Now remember... Had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tried to finish the the picture in their mind, they surely would have been discouraged by the time they got to the fire. Because I can can almost 100% say that they didn't expect that they'd get thrown into the furnace and live. I'm sure they thought of 10,000 other different ways that God would deliver them. So can you imagine, guys, for a moment, there's many times that God says, I'm going to deliver you. And you've just got to say, yes, Lord, you will. Don't finish it. Don't try to figure it out unless He tells you to. Unless He tells you how He's going to do it, don't don't try to figure it out or finish the picture. Just say, I'm putting my trust in you. Because then, I mean, you know, if if you had really thought, well, God will do it this way, God will do it that way, then all these times you would have been discouraged in your hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you put your hope in how He was going to do it instead of the fact that He was going to do it. And that will lead you to discouragement. But if you can say, No, no, I know my God can and will deliver me. I don't know how. But I don't need to know how. I just need to know He will. Then you can say confidently, My God will deliver me. And people will try to lure you into the trap of saying how. Don't fall for it. You don't have to answer those questions. Well, how's God going to do it? It's above my pay grade. I don't need to know that. Oh, come on. No, you don't have to. Don't fall into the trap... Because the Bible says that you're snared by the words of your mouth. Don't snare yourself. Don't snare God. Don't put God in your box that limits Him to how you think it should be done. Just say, He will deliver me. I'm not wishy-washy about that. He will deliver me, and He will yet deliver me. My God is the God that delivered. He's the God that delivers. And He's the God that will yet deliver me. That's your God. You've got to see Him as the rescuer. He's the rescuer. He's not the one that puts you in bondage. He's the one that delivers you from bondage. He's not the one that oppressed you. He's the one that frees you from oppression. He's not the one that put the chains on you. He's the one that breaks the chains. And when you can know Him for who He is as the rescuer, He said to His people Israel, I am the Lord that delivers you. Now, to us, that's just a statement. But in Hebrew, it comes out like a name. I am the Lord, your Deliverer. It's one of the names he used for himself. I am the Lord, your Deliverer. I am the Lord, your Healer. I am the Lord, your Righteousness. I am the Lord, your Salvation. He calls himself by this name. Blessed are they that trust the name of the Lord. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous will run into it and they are saved the Bible is full of these definite statements have some guts have some faith in God and begin to stand up and say definite things that He says about Himself, about your God. And quit trying to cover and do damage control. Acting like a lawyer that's trying to cover all your bases in case He doesn't come through. You just say, this is what He says, this is what I believe. And Watch what God can do. Amen.